I try to perform more, even to this day. I'm in the gym working out something uh, to be able to do the best that I can for that day. So I don't, I don't rely on my old cool stuff to carry me now. I, I call that legacy. Like people that are legacy guys, that they were awesome at one point, and then they kind of let go, and then they're still riding their legacy. And that's one thing, right? Like if you weren't a badass before, you should be able to keep up some sort of badassness now because people are still looking at you like who you might have been. The disconnect between those community relationships that we would we were able to build has changed the violence against officers. Because now it's just a uniform to these people. Now you don't know their names, they don't know who you are, and it's a lot easier to shoot at somebody you don't know. This is why the militaries do so well. You're shooting at a bad guy in another country that doesn't even speak your own language. It makes it a little easier. rolled up to a call of a head-on collision and a dad and daughter they're already starting to burn alive like right as we rolled in his legs were pinned so he, he was like trying to crawl away and like pull himself on the ground there's nothing to hold on to and his legs are trapped so he's charred in this like pulling position like gnarly charred and I was like ah oh. so the little girl was in the middle the two girls next to her were able to get out the little girl in the middle wasn't so she stayed in the car with dad and I mean that was a that was a tough one and I think just people brush it off, right? It's like, you got to be tough. You got to do this. You got to do that. And you do. I mean, don't get me wrong. You do have to be able to, like, compartmentalize these things and channel them. But you also have to be able to vent. And that's where that courage comes in. Your ability to be like, oh, shit, I should probably talk about this. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast. Brought to you by the Assisted Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal, and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. Welcome back, folks. I'm Joe King. I'm with the incredible Misty Van Curen and co-host... <laughs> Randy Aguilar. Chris White was going to come in uh, in town, the co-host with this, but his wife wasn't feeling well and they were expecting. So Chris, we love you and you're welcome on anytime. Simplicity without compromise. Today's guest has dedicated his life to being truly a servant. First a servant to the country as a U.S. Army combat veteran, cavalry scout. Then as an Army Infantry Drill Sergeant. He was a member of the Windy City Chicago PD Tactical and Narcotics Unit. Immersed himself in more of a training role, he took on Chicago PD's firearm instructor. And after 33 years in the Windy City, he moved to sunny Arizona to become a Yavapia. Yavapai. Yavapai. Close okay. enough. Close enough. <laughs> County Arizona Deputy Sheriff. He's a proud patriotic first-generation american i'm happy to welcome on raw martinez jr 
Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Yep. How many times have you been to Dallas? Oh, Dallas is almost a second home now. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know the airport well. I know uh, Arlington and Grapevine, all those locations where we just hang out. And then uh, Mansfield now is going to be a new location. But Dallas, I think we're, I'm in Dallas six times a year. So okay. It's not, it's not new, but it is exciting. It's fine. I mean, you're not a Cowboy fan, right? No, unfortunately. Yeah, you were right yeah. about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> no, are you Bears? Uh, yes. I, I guess I'm a, I'm a sports fan, mm-hmm. not a team fan okay. kind of deal. Okay, I like, like the energy. Ball. I like the activities. Never really settled into one uh, dedicated team or the other, but the, the, the fun of it, I think, was a lot. Of, like, we worked a lot of those details for uh, Soldier Field. Right. And it was fun to see the, the, the people and the crowds, but I never got into... Really? Yeah. Okay. I was more the individual sport kind of guy. Like the <laughs> MMA. And wrestling. Okay. Yeah, all oh, the things where it's like a lot of – but there's so much more value to, to the team sports when it comes to society, right? Like being a, a good person in society. But, yeah. I got you. Now, uh, we're going to get into Chicago time. I'm, I'm very interested in that. You're uh, first uh, Chicago PD we're having in here. and Oh, cool. There's a lot that, that's rich in history there. And – Rich in crime and politics, man. Yeah, I, so I much imagine. has changed. Like people are are like, oh, we finally have this like freestyle, uh, like mayoral position where people can can really get elected, and they're seeing the result of that. And I'm not saying that the old school way was the way, but it it really was uh, a generational thing. You right. Know? So the 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 Daly family when they were running the mayor office they held that office it was legit everybody worked together people didn't like them but everything got done properly everybody had everybody knew their place more than anything i think back then so times have changed yeah i would want to work up there right now (laughs) my heart goes out to them yeah i feel for those guys how was it growing up in chicago chicago's a lot of fun uh i grew up in pilsen so you guys are familiar with Pilsen. It's kind of like, uh, and if you're not, I'll, I'll explain it. It's it's a very Mexican community. So it's uh, basically one family member moves there, and then they're like, hey, sis, I live in this neighborhood. Why don't you move here too? And they, they follow up. So like the sisters come, and then the brothers come, and then the whole neighborhood is either, uh, it's made up of maybe eight or ten families and all brothers, cousins, you know, third removed cousins, and everybody just lives in the area. So that's kind of like where, where I grew up. That's at 18th and Damon area. And it, it was not as bad because everybody still took care of each other, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Like one lady would be screaming out the window, and she'd be like, "Roll, your mom's calling you. And I'd look at her window because she's the one calling me, and then I could see my mom half a block away yeah, <laughs> yelling okay. at her, and she's yelling at me. So it was a cool, like, old-school vibe. Uh, very, uh, it's like something you see in a movie. For sure. Yeah, and, okay. and growing up there was fun, and, and it was hectic. Um, Hispanic and black crime is a big deal in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So the blacks didn't like the Hispanics, and the Hispanics didn't like the blacks. I don't know why. We were just raised that way, and that's how we dealt with it. So lots of scrapping and fighting and running and not getting caught and catching other people, but... It was a. Uh, it was a definitely. It was definitely more of a culture like Hispanic culture where we grew up, 
and then the black culture. There wasn't a lot of white folk other than the few that were just fused in. Mm-hmm. And I'm making it seem racial just so that it, it paints a picture of the times, right. right? Like late 80s, early 90s. Like that's nobody really was out being racist. It was just the way it was, yeah. right? Like, like how it is now where people have to skirt and be careful about what they're saying. Um, but that's how it was there. You dealt with the black people the way you did, and you were friends with them until you weren't. And then it... it it wasn't bad. Like, I don't know how, how to highlight that anymore where you can say like, hey, that's just how it was. And then the next day we were cool. We'd high right. five each other because that was the end of that. Well, that's um, just how everybody was brought up back yeah. then. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, parents are, uh, they moved there. They met there. So they didn't know each other till they both moved to Chicago. They met in Chicago. And that's kind of where I came along. And uh, both of them are immigrants. I'm the first generation. Uh, I'm one of the first generation Americans for our family. So it's it's really cool. And that's kind of what led into what you said earlier about military service and just being a servant. It was one of these things where, man, this country out of nowhere, my, my parents bragged about this country like nobody's business. Like all they said was like, man, we're so glad we're here. And man, we're so glad that this place gave us, you know, a house for you guys and constant food and no pressure to do this and no pressure to be here or work two, three, four jobs, knowing that with two we can sustain. And it was really cool. Their, their constant um, uh, praise for the country and what it had given them in comparison to where they came from, for, to me, it was like, oh, man, I got to do something, too. This is awesome. Is that when you decided when you graduated to get in the military to further serve the country? That's when it started to, like, fester. And that's, like, age, like, 13, 14. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is a good idea. This is a good option. So that's kind of where we, I ended up deciding that that would be a good path for me. So... Okay, join the army. Uh, what did you do in the military? So in the army, uh, I signed up for a cavalry scout. So they're kind of like a reconnaissance small unit deal. You go out. It's well it, in the old days. It was actually the dudes wearing stetsons and sabers and riding horses. Like it was very cool. It has a lot of history. Now it's all mechanized, right? So it's either or it was light wheel stuff, Humvees, and then it became mechanized. So like Bradleys, um, striker vehicles, bigger armored vehicles for you know the changing times in the war. So when I signed up, I wanted to do all the cool, fast-paced stuff, and that's really what they trained us for. And then they shifted everything to mechanized because of all the IEDs and every, everybody getting blown up. So when I signed on, it was to, to do that stuff, and that's the Calvary Scout position. And it was a lot of fun. Deployed in 2007 to 2009. And uh, that's kind of where I, I started to see how different and similar the world uh, abroad was as far as that country. So to me, I, I was thrown back a few times walking the streets of Iraq. I'm like, man, this almost looks like Mexico, wrought iron fences, um, all the pastel colors on the doors, like very similar to how they set up the colors in Mexico and the things that they do. And even the people kind of look Mexican. So mm-hmm. for me, it was easy to get along with people there and the interpreters, everybody's all kind of like confused, like, who is this dude? And maybe, yeah. maybe not. Right. Because uh, I, I, I think I look Middle Eastern ish in a way. Um, so, yeah. Huh. So when did you decide to go? crossover from military to the PD. What was what what factored in that decision making? <laughs> it's actually a funny story. Um I'll probably get in trouble for telling it cuz uh it has to do with a girl. It always does. It does. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of my big decisions had to do <laughs> with uh some sort of fun uh story like that. So uh, I get out of the military after drill sergeant school. I reclass to the infantry. I leave the military. I'm back home in Chicago, and I'm seeing a female officer that's on the department. Mm-hmm. So I'm hanging out with her while I'm working a few contracts overseas, like deciding to move back out and and do work um, contracting. And I'm actually 
on a contract in Australia, hanging out in Australia, doing cool stuff. And then I get a, a call. They're like, hey, we need you to come and take the polygraph and this other part of the test and this other anything that didn't have to do with just filling out the application. And I was like, okay, cool. Why? <laughs> They're like, well, you got accepted. Your application got accepted to the police academy so you could become a law enforcement officer. I was like, awesome. Uh, let me call you back. And I call home. And she's like, oh, yeah, I filled out all your stuff because I have all your medical records and uh, ETS <laughs> records from the military, my whole box of stuff. Well, that was nice of her. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, I, I thought you would like it. And you, you would have a great time doing this because it's similar to what you were doing already. And I was like. <laughs> very thoughtful thanks <laughs> so i was confused by the whole thing uh and i'm in another country right and it's the upside down land over there and so uh, i'm like all right cool sign me up three weeks later i'm back in back in the states and um setting up for the polygraph setting up or, or not not the polygraph the physical that's the first one that they go through so did the physical the thing was great then you set up your next few and then you go from there i think in th three months i was on and that's when they were doing a big hire in like right. 2010 so you hired on in 2010? Yeah. Okay. We have a we go through a bunch of big hiring pushes 13, here in, sorry, yeah, 2013. In 2013. Okay. Yeah, so you're a, a a drill instructor, correct? Mm -hmm. Was the police academy what you expected after coming <laughs> from that? They tried. They <laughs> did try and there it was really fun because there was a a Marine Corps uh, lead instructor for the police academy, and he did. They let him dress up in the blues and walk around and yell at people, and he played drill sergeant for the academy. But they only allowed one guy to do that. So I saw him, and I was like, oh, that's cool. That's neat. I like that kind of stuff. And then uh, it just kind of got a little softer little by little. But it was regimented. It still was push-ups. It still was you know, making sure people are where they're supposed to be, clean uniforms, things like that. And um, They tried to have former military guys lead the classes, so there's like class leaders. Do you guys do that here? Yeah. There's yeah. like a class leader for the yeah. for the group. We'll have um, a president, and then what are the what are the ones with the reds on? What are they? The squad, squad leaders. Squad leaders. Yeah. But there was a every. I was an advisor at our academy for a, a, an academy class, and every week we had a class leader. And oh. the first leaders that I picked every week were prior military guys, mm -hmm. and I usually went in rank order from everybody. Most of everybody that I picked had been sergeants. There was a couple of corporals, but that's sure. how I chose who was going to be the class leader that week, and then they determined how things went the rest of the way. Were were they able to keep that position if they held on to it? Or did they, they voted. I think towards the end they? they voted on the class president and then the squad leaders. And usually, I guess the first couple of weeks, it's kind of an audition. And I think Misty can probably talk about – you probably had more classes out there than what I did, but about how they – determined who was going to be that and i think the, the class voted on who they wanted to be the squad leaders yeah it was president. an election yeah oh, was it okay. yeah and i did the same i put yeah. my military guys nice uh as leaders yeah what did you find from that did you find that you were getting the results you were after i was very fortunate i had some combat combat veterans that were nice. incredible that were great leaders and um they made me look good awesome they they did an, an unbelievable job <clears throat> Well, that's the, that's the true effects of good leadership, right? Is sure. you put the, the right people in the right places, and then you just let them do. And I did. And that's, yeah, that's exactly how it should be, I think. And that's when you start to see really high-level performance. When the leadership above you trusts you to do something, you just do it. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to let yourself down. Like, there's this sense of being proud for the position that you're in. <clears throat> it's a lot different than just like, uh, well, you were in the military. You do it. 
you know, it's very different than to to do it that way than to foster the actual idea that they belong in that position. Sure. So to us, it wasn't. We didn't. It was elected and not. It was kind of like a hand vote, <laughs> almost like uh, do we like him or not? And that's uh. So the there was a, one other dude. I didn't want to do it. I just wanted to hang out in the back and not be a class leader and just you know coast. But the guy that they chose and I supported him. I was like, dude, I'll back your plays. You could do this thing. Um, he was kind of more like a hmm, kind of dopey like. Yeah, he did cool stuff, but he kind of also didn't want to do it. But he also wasn't a big personality either. He couldn't command the room and then go sit and talk to the superintendent and then come back and talk to the rest of the class about regular stuff. Uh, and then I got put into that position, and then I dealt with it. So. How old were you? I was older. 30? No. Yeah, 29. Yeah. And how many people were in your class? 27. Okay, so it's a, it, it's it's comparable. Similar, right? Yeah. You guys are one of the bigger agencies as well. We have 13,000 sworn. That's quite a bit bigger than we are. Okay. 10,000 more than what we have right now. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, our, our highest, I think, was 3,600. Wow. And we we're had about 31 right now. Yeah. It, and that's counting people, a bunch of people from the academy that are actually already officially. And that's like admin and everything? Because mm-hmm. the 13,000 yeah. when I left was everything from admin to active patrol guys to SWAT to everybody. Yeah. I, man, I forget how. I, I guess I just I underestimate how big Chicago was then with with officers. I mean, it is a four point five million person city, so yeah, we're a little over a million here, so we're not quite as yeah, it quite makes as sense. Big. Well, by volume, that almost makes perfect sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, but I had fun as a as a class leader. I I, I tried. That's where I really started to fuse my law or my military leadership with what I was going to see on the street for myself. Sure. It was like almost like a practice run for how to deal with the public is from having come from the military. So to me, everything's like a test bed. If I get put into a position, I'm like, Ooh, how can I make this work for what I want to do next? So it's this constant forward motion and using historical lessons to make the next things easier. And I think that's, I think that's why I've been kind of fortunate with every step or move that I make. I set it up with something from before. Sure. So. Were you an athlete? Yes and no. So I was an athlete physically and mentally, but I would be too <laughs> unwilling to commit to certain things. Uh, growing up, and I'm not afraid to admit it now, growing up I had commitment issues to a lot of things. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't commit to teams, I didn't commit to people, it was just rough. And until I was like 27 to 30, I finally, it clicked, and I was like, ah, I need to fix this. And once I fixed that, that opened a whole new level of abilities. So it's it's super interesting that you would ask that. But yeah, uh, I tried to perform more, even to this day. Uh, I'm in the gym working out something uh, to be able to do the best that I can for that day. So I don't I don't rely on my old cool stuff to carry me now. I, I call that legacy. Like people that are legacy guys, that they were awesome at one point, and then they kind of let go. And then sure. they're still riding their legacy. And that's one thing, right? Like if you were an, a badass before, you should be able to keep up some sort of badassness now because people are still looking at you like who you might have been. Right? Everybody gets complacent with everything, whether it's whether it's we have a lot of officers that are 25 pushing 30 years on and they did a lot of hard work in the first few years and they still live on that legend. Yeah. You know, and that's. So you've sweet. seen it. You know what I'm talking oh, about. Oh, I know. Exactly. And yeah. then you see the people that, that always you'll see people at the gym that are. I used to do this. I'm I'm trying to get back into it. Really, are you? You've been saying that for five years. Yeah. So they're trying it that week, right? They do that. Yeah. Week That's on. only because they saw somebody they know and they want to get their story out. Um, so you graduate and you hit you hit get out in Chicago. Where did you start working? 
so Chicago's I don't know if you guys do it here. Chicago has uh, it's an 18 month probation period. Mm-hmm. So it might be similar. And to do anything else, any teams, any sort of um, specialty units, you have to be out of the uh, probation phase. Right. And they were doing something. I think New York does it. I don't know if you guys do it here, but you have to walk the beat. You have to like physically be on your feet you have to walk around some of the craziest places in chicago and a van comes picks you up takes you to the station get your gear right and then a van drops you into the hood and then you do your thing and then you get x filled out again so to me it was cool because it was like some of the military stuff i did you jump out of vehicles you go do your stuff and you come back uh so to me it reminded me a lot about that uh but for those for a few of those months so the first phase of that is they're figuring out where they're going to put you is essentially what I think it was. They're like, ah, oh, we don't know what districts need that. Do you guys call them districts here or precinct? precinct? Divisions. Divisions. Yeah, we have divisions, and, and within the divisions, you have sectors. Cool. Yeah, we have seven substations in Dallas. So we have, like, Channel 1, which is central around downtown, and then all the way to Channel 7, which is south central. Gotcha. So, the, you know, the southern districts are, like, uh, Channel 4, southwest, uh, central, Channel 7, uh, south central, Channel 7, southeast, is 3, and then it goes northeast, and then... Uh, Northwest, North Central. So gotcha. that's all we got. Yeah. Chicago breaks it into three, North, South, Central, and then the West. And the West is kind of like its own entity. <laughs> it seems like the walking beat, that, that's a really big, that's the model up there for the Northeastern. Yeah. New York's real big. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, that's a lot of, damn. Yeah. yeah. And it, when it, when they explained it, I, to me, it was like, okay, cool. We're just going to be walking around and then some senior officers are driving around. And I'm just you know, making sure that you're all right. <laughs> uh, and it was cool. I, I personally liked the walking beat just because mm-hmm. it allowed me to see more. It wasn't such a fast-paced constant. Like, driving is fast, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're going 20 miles an hour, you're going to pass these street signs, and you're trying to remember everything and where you are. At least walking, I can sit on a corner, see all four corners, and be like, okay, cool. I'm kind of orienting myself here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked it, but I also I had a different mentality when I was looking at it. A lot of people complained about it. Other people were just there. They're like, oh, this is what they want us to do. I'm like, cool. Everybody has a role to play right um so yeah it went from a beat to i think you do about six months of that and then you go to your your district where you're going to be assigned for a little while and that's kind of where i started planting the seed for narcotics so i'm not even a year out of uh probation so a year on six months ago probation i'm already planting the seed with people that i know so mm-hmm. i'm riding the, the paddy wagon with old school coppers and they're like oh my friend's in charge of this unit or my other friends over here he just promoted to that unit i'm like oh man i have this awesome resume i was a recon guy we used to find people in random places and the stuff mm-hmm. that i did overseas contracting we were tracking things and they're like mm, you might fit into this this unit and i'm like yeah that would be awesome <laughs> you pass my name along you know yeah, so, well, that, well, there's there's a lot of that here too. Good. It's yeah, it's the way it should be. The, you it should is. put the most skilled people in the positions because there's a lot of people that get positions that you know. Yeah, it just it ain't worth the shit. Well, it's one thing when you're good on paper, and it's another thing when you're physically good at something, right? Yeah. Like showing up and you know shooting bullseye targets. Let's just just shooting as an example. No time limits, no nothing. You shoot the best bullseye in the world. But how fast can you shoot it when you're running down some stairs? You turn a corner, and then somebody pops out, and then you're willing to act at that point, right? So it's the collective information processing that's more important, and that comes with experience. So, Absolutely. And it doesn't only come from the experience within the department. I think. Th- the more old school guys are the guys with the experience in some of these positions. They knew that they were like, yeah, do I want the dude with 10 years law enforcement experience or do I want the dude with two years of this, two years of that? And then combined, 
He's got a good understanding of what to do. I just got to fine tune that guy. Like I would pick people that I can fine tune instead of just like dude with super experience here, or super experience there or none. Right. Well, there's a willing to learn too, and change and learn a new task. Yeah. You got to have that. All right. You were planting the seed to work your way into narcotics. So how, how did that work out? And, and how long had you been on when you got over there? So I had to clear. So it was, uh, a year and a half, I had to clear probation in order for my district to release me to the units, right? And it was a, again, it's a Chicago thing, or maybe you guys do it too, but it's a loan, basically. The district loaned me to that unit, right? So the sergeant. No, we don't do that. No, we don't do that. <laughs> we, we have a, it's called special assignment. Special assignment, yeah. There you go. But you have to be a certain rank, though, to, to, be, to go to narcotics and be able to like be an undercover, like senior corporal. We go from police officer to senior corporal. You need to have time on. Okay. Right. Um, but again, good resumes and people that trust that you're going to represent them well, like you were saying earlier, if they're going to represent you well, you're, you're probably going to take these guys on. So I belong to the district on paper. And work wise, though, I was with the narcotics unit. Right. It was this loan like, oh, we don't need you right now. We'll let you go do your thing over here with those guys. So they picked me up. I started running around with those those guys. And it, it came from a conversation what do you guys call it here at Patty? We call it Patty Wagon. We have Patty Wagon, so, yeah. Yeah. So um, I was with a senior officer. He's ready to retire. And he started just like, man, I need to use my favors. <laughs> Let me get you in with some people that I know. And we hung out a lot. And we I learned a lot of cool stuff from him. He was already 25 years on when I met him. Uh, and he's just a cool, classic kind of guy. You know what I mean? It was still like... I went to high school with this guy you know, 20, 30 years ago, and let's give him a break kind of deal, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It was cool. Uh, I like that style of, of interaction with people, but he's the one that helped me get into narcotics. I, and it was a, a very cool and interesting process. Met their supervisor, and he was awesome. And then he's like, cool, man, you were, you're good for me, but I don't make the decision. Go meet the dudes there on the parking lot. You'll find out who they are just by going out there. Uh, they're each going to do a mini interview. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So met up, met all each of the guys. And uh, two, three weeks later, I was running around with them. And it was the first day was trial by fire. Really? Were you, were you, did you go immediately into like undercover buys? <laughs> Not immediately. So they, okay. they have to like, there is this like vetting process, right? So the trial by fire day one throws me some keys and he's like, cool, man, you're watching that corner. These are the two guys making buys. I just needed you to see what you see and relay to us. So I'm excited, right? And I'm relaying everything. And they're like, dude, chill out. We don't need that much information. (laughs) But but I was pumped. I was like, man, what am I seeing? How am I, how am I seeing it? And what is important? And little by little, they were, they were uh, grooming me to, to cancel out what's not necessary, what's not important. And then just feeding the proper information back so that they knew how to act. So I was on the enforcement car for a little while. Uh, so surveillance and then the enforcement car. So we would do, we would, uh, what would you call the enforcement? The takedown, I guess. Mm. Yeah. We would just mm-hmm. snatch them up and put them in cuffs and things like that. So, What was the, mostly the drugs that you worked? So heroin and fentanyl was a big one for us. And the push from the department was heroin. They're, that's what they were looking for. And that was 26, 15 and 16. Uh, was why and that was that when that big fentanyl push was sure. killing everybody yeah. uh, in Chicago so that's what we were after but we would get everything from crack to I mean we'd get dumps of weed and just flip the dude to give us something else right yeah. um, I don't know if you can do that anymore but 
yeah. we did that. I, I I would let dudes go with with weed in their pockets, or I'd be like, "Hey, man, finish that as fast as you can," and yeah. he just burn that joint down and just be like, "Get out of here, go." <laughs> no, we're, we're Texas is getting pretty lax, and even the city of Dallas, we're getting pretty lax with the with the weed. I mean, the larger amounts, no, but yeah. the felony amounts, but the the misdemeanors, yeah, we're just. And then when we were out in the streets. We did the same thing. We kind of. One of the bigger fish than that. It's a relationship. Shit. I don't think, yeah. you know, and sure, uh, looking at it from, you know, higher position, you're probably like, yeah, just a number is a number because that's what those meetings are, right? It's statistics and numbers. Um, but they don't understand the relationships that are being built when you are just letting somebody go with a dime bag or whatever. Once you, how, how did you finally get in where you're making undercover buys? So that took forever. Um, and I only did two with a partner so it was like that let's do it together i'm going to introduce uh-huh. you thing and our guy oh, i was about to say his name i'm not gonna say his name okay. <laughs> just because it came right and he looked like he could buy from everybody he could buy from you and you yeah. and you and no matter what you were selling he could buy he was that character right and he looked the part sunken in eyes kind of like goofy looking and he like he's was, on the verge of death every time he's going <laughs> he's walking up yeah but he he could buy from anyone anywhere and he was the easiest guy to just do the intros, right? Like, hey, this is so-and-so. Let's get you connected. Uh, I kind of looked a little bit bigger, so it was going to be hard for me to buy certain things. Uh, the other really good buy officer was this big, tall, jacked white guy. So he didn't really buy a lot of the weird dope. Yeah. He bought, like, um, what was that purple drink that everybody was drinking for a while? Oh, codeine? Yeah, the promethazine with yeah. codeine. yeah. We had a big bust of that because that was going on, and he just played some college kid and bought a case of it. So, well, now we're getting a lot of fentanyl here in Dallas that are people are using pill pressers to make dummy hydrocodones and, oh, uh, and muscle relaxers, but using just fentanyl, fentanyl. And it's killing people, you know. So, yeah, did y'all have a lot of that going on with it? Back then? No, we still had just the powdered stuff that they were mixing in with the heroin, so they were just hot-loading themselves. Yeah. And that's what we were getting. Heroin's gotten so bad in Dallas. Really? Do you yeah. know if it's the brown stuff or the white stuff? No, it's the it's the brown. So basically, we get a lot of tar here. The tar comes in up from Mexico, and then they, they uh, ground it up with Dorman. They let it dry, and then they fill up the little capsules, the little mm-hmm. Benadryl capsules, and they yeah. and they sell it that way. Damn. Or they just sell the straight tar. Yeah. But, yeah, it's gotten – I left the streets in 2016 – and I was out at Southeast from 97 to, to 16. And I saw more heroin in the last five years on the streets than the rest of years combined because it has yeah. just gotten so bad. There's waves, I think. So there's the waves of the heroin stuff. Then there was the waves of cocaine and crack, right? The 80s, 90s yeah, was yeah. that. I think there's just fluctuating waves. Um, well, they would sell sometimes in those dual packs. They would have like a little Benadryl caps and one be, have brown powder, which was the heroin. Then the yeah. other would be like the little white powder. They called it boy girl. And they would sell it in the little bags, the dual, you know, Mix little it, dual bags. Yeah. 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 I think that's what, that's what a lot of the stuff we were seeing was. And they were just hot loading. Cause they just be like, well, this felt good last time, but not, not realizing now it's just pure fentanyl. They're dropping in. And there was a ton of those deaths. Yeah. In Chicago. They said they're clutching their heart and they're falling over. Yeah. So, so you went to the TAC team, uh, tactical unit, so the yeah so I phased so after narcotics I phased into the tag team mm-hmm. and it's just like a gang's plain clothes officer type deal okay right you just get to meet more people walk around you don't have to wear all the, the gear okay uh, and that was back to the district that had loaned me out and then that was the transition so tack was the transition to go to the academy to teach right okay um, so during that time it was a lot of fun a lot of running around a lot of dealing with uh, 
it was gang violence, but still drugs. Because, I mean, drugs, guns, gangs, yeah. all, all those things are... are the nexus. Yeah. And so the, <laughs> the big stuff was... I ended up... Re- I still listen to his music, this this uh, rapper, Young uh, young Pappy. And uh, he was a rapper in, like, the district that we worked. Him and his brother, and they were good. Like, this kid was talented. Like, I was, I was sad that he got smoked, and it sucked because he was such a talent. I was like, man, if this kid just... If he rapped about the lifestyle and got out of it, he would have been awesome. But he stayed in in the lifestyle and got wrapped up in a corner and just blazed down. And nobody figured out who did it. And that sparked this huge gang violence. His brother got shot. I show up. I look in the car. And he looks at me. And he's like, bro. I'm like, you good? And he's like, no, but I'm good. And he wanted to drive himself to the hospital. He's like, he just, he just wanted to flex like that. He's like, I'll drive myself. I was like, no, man. Let's get you out of the car. Let's get this handled. Um, but but he got shot in his own district as well. His brother. The brother survived. Um, but the other dude died. And that just... I think everybody was getting shot every day for like a good month um, between the two rival gangs. What are the what were the rival gangs going on up there? The prevalent gangs. So these guys were subsects. They were like PBG and something else. But the gangs were the big gangs: the Kings, um, the GDs, and then uh, we had black G- or black Kings too, which was very interesting. Uh, the blacks and the Hispanics started to fuse together. Mm-hmm. The GDs were notoriously black gang, right? For the most part, the gangster disciples. But the Latin kings were Latin, and then there was the black Latin kings. I was like, oh, cool, man. We just fused these dudes. Yeah. Like, you've been anointed. And then there were the Assyrian Latin kings, and they just, everybody, like, came to one side. The people and the folks, right, were the two, like, set, like the big major um the, where the umbrella spanned from. And those those two ones were the big ones. Um the GDs were the South Side guys. The Land Kings were the North Side guys, and then there was just little sex all over in between. And then the, the rogue, weird, like they didn't give a get along with anybody was the West Side. They just did whatever they did. They needed to get guns. They'll go get guns from either side. They needed to get dope. They get dope from either side. They just did their own thing. It was it was a, an interesting um, setup the way the the West Side did it, and they border, and they border a suburb. Right, so we would get trickling stuff from mm-hmm. the the suburb guys chasing them into Chicago, and the station was right at that border. So I remember being in the back of the station one day, and a call comes out. They're chasing this dude on foot. I'm like, cool. So we're listening. We're like, we'll see where he's at. And they they call out the street of the station. I'm like, that's right here. And they're like, he's in they're the alley. Our back door. Yeah, yeah, they're coming right down the alley. And so we go outside and. I see one officer turn. I'm like, that's that chase. I'm like, well, let's go. Everybody's from, from roll call goes, and we're, like, helping out. And do you guys have, like, gangways, alleyways here, like, between buildings? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. right? Yeah. You can come out in the alley? Mm-hmm. Cool. So this dude jumps a fence, goes into one side. I'm right behind him. The officer already slowed out. He's probably chasing him for a while, so he's just done. Tapped out. Yeah. yeah. There's a building. He jumps the fence. I jump that same fence. He goes this way. I go around the building on the other side, and... I'm like, ooh, we're moving pretty quick. Is he going to stop? Is he not? We come out, we meet, and, like, bump into each other in, in the yard. Like, that's how fast we're running. Because the door would, it funneled out, right? So there would be, like, the, the two gangways to the building, and then it would funnel to one door out the back into the alley. So we were both, I knew where he was going, so we just both met and clashed into each other. So I just tackled him. He starts laughing. I'm laughing. I'm like, dude, you're, I'm like, this is awesome, right? So I'm, like, getting him in cuffs. I, I have my knee on his back, and I'm dealing with him. He's like, dude, you got me. It's awesome. 
him, blah, blah, blah. He's like laughing, young guy. And then everybody else shows up and they start like kneeing him and kicking him. I'm like, hey, guys, he's already in hey, cuffs. We got, him. we got him. It's cool. But you can tell that they were frustrated because it was a long chase. So I wasn't mad about the whole thing, but I thought it was hilarious to have like this running, intertwining, like weird joust right yeah. running into each other. Uh, and then everybody comes and the dude just was like, this was the coolest day ever. You guys are so cool. And uh, I mean, he had dope and a gun on him. But, but. yeah, well, a lot, a lot of the good, the good hardcore gang members and, and just guys you deal with they kind of will accept that this is a cat and mouse game right you know and they they don't take a shit personal and you're only messing mess with me for this reason no you know why i'm messing with you and it's not for any other reason other than you doing criminal shit it, it's refreshing to hear you say that because they absolutely do know that yeah and they're not mad when they get locked up and it's legit they're like damn you got me motherfucker i hate you yeah <laughs> and oh, then I- you see him a week later and they're like what's up man and you're just like this was awesome i had a guy like that um on the west side where we worked and I-, I snatched him up on something and then the his old lady didn't show up for the domestic so she wasn't going to sign papers right so no victim no crime and i'm like man that sucks so this was a good one because we've been trying to get something from him for a little while so I just, I was like chatting with him. I didn't tell him that she didn't come or didn't. I was like, what could we do for this? Like, if I can let you go, right? And I'm still a young guy. This was the the, the walking beat. So this is still mm-hmm. on probation. Mm-hmm. I'm doing shit that I thought was cool. And I don't think it was <laughs> the yeah. right thing to do, but it was whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, Command didn't know, so it's good. Yeah, they didn't know. Um, <laughs> and he's like, I'll get you, I'll get you a, a fully stock Glock 40. I was like, cool, man make a phone call tell me where it'll be we'll go get it so he has one of his friends get one of their guns puts it in a little um like a gift bag you know what i mean the, the valentine did they put the paper at the top like i this? wish because yeah. that would have made my day <laughs> but it was just <laughs> it was just that bag i was like all right cool you're gonna put it behind this garbage can and he the dude calls back and he's like it's right there so i sent two coppers they went they picked up like chicago's like loves finding guns right whether yeah. it's on a person or it's just on the street they love finding guns. You're inventory guns. You're a rock star. Like they love you in the department for that. So I get this gun, bro. I'm like, hey, you're gonna never showed up, so you weren't gonna get charged with anything anyway. And he's like, motherfucker, I love you, man. You crazy <laughs> as hell. He went on, and I'm trying to give you the voice because you guys know. And right. he, uh, it, <laughs> something about interacting with them. Uh, it was great because they, like you said, they know when they mess up. They know when it's time to play the game and when it's time to be respectful. Because even when I would see him on the street and I knew something was off, he'd be really polite. Be like, hey, Martinez, how are you? And I'd be like, mm, you don't yeah. usually say what's up to me. Usually you're, you're like waving a finger at me with your boys, right? I'd be like, mm, He's sweating right. his ass off yeah. because he's got something on yeah. Right. And I was like, ah, is it worth it today? That's ah, fine. And then you just get him another day. Yeah. But that's the beauty of, and I was going to ask you guys, do you guys still have that ability here to interact with your area, your people? Or do you guys move around a lot where you don't get to know the, the people or the players? Well, we have. We used to. We used to. Now it's not. It's, so it's, it's, it's. We gotten away from that. Yeah. Well, because we we started up a thing called the bid, right? So we had these seven sub substations, and then every year we we had a delay, but now it was every year people were bidding, so for days off. So you would have somebody that's worked southeast for five or six years, and they they know the area very well, but they can get better days off up at northeast, so they bid for that, and then they go up there and they don't know what the hell's going on, mm. and then you got people coming down south, just they're chasing days off basically, right? And I don't blame yeah. them because sure. who wouldn't want to have Friday, Saturday, or Saturday, Sunday, or Sunday, Monday? But it really hurt a lot of the uh, the beat responsibility and the the relationships. Uh, 
you know, we, we've all been on like specialized unit at some point where we all stayed in one area and we, we dealt with pretty much the same uh, bad people every day. And we got, we formed relationships and also identified, you know, the intelligence mining. Right. Yeah. And we would, there was a guy named Rodell. I'm not going to say his last name, giving sure. that much credit, but <laughs> shout out Rodell. He was a, he was one of the biggest weed dealers for uh, the, uh, the Crips over there in South Dallas. He was cool with me. I got his ass. I got him one time with like 10 pounds of weed and a gun. And, and afterwards he goes, Hey, you caught me slipping. You know, he's, yeah. and then after that he would come out and we'd fist bump and shit yeah. and then, and talk. And, but yeah, that day I got him. You're right. It was different when yeah. he, when, I, when he came out of that house, he just, he didn't have the same look on his face yeah. and he runs sprinting to the backyard and throws a set of keys to the car. He said, you know, it was mm-hmm. loaded up in the trunk, but he, you know, it, but yeah, but other than that, even though I jacked him up all the time, he was friendly. Yeah, he did. He wasn't accusing me of doing it for other reasons other than, no, I have a role and you have a role. And this is we just sometimes intersect for sure. I think the disconnect is what's created. the. This is probably off topic, but the, the, the disconnect between those community relationships that we would mm-hmm. we were able to build has changed the violence against officers because now it's just a uniform to these people. Yeah. Now yeah. you don't know their names. They don't know who you are. And it's a lot easier to shoot at somebody you don't know. This is why mm-hmm. the militaries do so well. You're shooting at a bad guy in another country that doesn't even speak your own language. It makes it a little easier than uh, to shoot potentially Americans, right? Um, this is another one that for me was a big deal. So I was serving the country in the military, right? Do what you have to do. You come home. <clears throat> you come home. It was hard for me. Uh, and I still preach this in training, like it's hard to, as a copper, this is why I interacted so so positively with a lot of these dudes was because they're Americans. Yeah, you're a shitbag, maybe, right? Or you mm-hmm. do, you live a different lifestyle than I do, but you're still an American. And I went to fight for your freedoms while you were doing that shit. Uh, when I came back, I wasn't mad at you. You're still an American. I mean, I'll put you in jail if I have to, but I wasn't after like, I can't wait to get in my first gunfight here in America. You know what I mean? Like who does that? And this is where a lot of the new, I hear this a lot from the younger guys. Like I can't wait to do my first you know, shooting. I'm like, bro, that's the wrong approach. Careful because what now you wish for you're days. looking at people very differently in your own country. Like this is home. This is a very different atmosphere. You know, you want to do shit like that, join the military. You get plenty of options to do that. Right. Um, but the relationship disconnect, I think, is just to go back to the subject, was mm-hmm. is what's happening now, I think. Because nobody knows them. They don't know you. So I, they'd go, they'd say, oh, uh, Halstead and 24th. I'm like, oh, shit, who lives over there? Okay, these two dudes live over there. It's probably these two guys. Or they're Western and 55th. And you're like, oh, shit, that's Mookie and JoJo. Shit, and the, these guys load up. You know, So you would know, and you'd be like, hey, be careful. Don't approach the house. Little things where you had intel, good intel, because you knew the people. You knew the streets. You knew who was doing what, where. And that style of policing where the police actually gave a shit more. And it's not anybody's fault, right? This isn't a place-blaming thing. It's just the times lead to the way things are done. Right. So, And leadership has a big impact on how hard people work on the streets. So, Do you think that walking beat established some of that foundation? I think so. It definitely helped when I came back to that district, right? So I knew the district well because I was walking around it, and then now driving it was even easier. Sure. And getting to better locations was easier. Um, But it did help with the relationships because you would be walking down the same streets where people lived, and they usually sit out front, right? Uh, And so you're like, oh, okay, well, cool. I don't even need to ask you where you live. And that's either your mom's house, your girlfriend's house, or your house, right? They don't travel too far from their three-by-three block neighborhoods. So I think it does help. I don't think it should be that long. <laughs> Six months of walking around an area. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, massive calves walking around. <laughs> <laughs> you just got big legs. Yeah. Um, but 
you do you do learn a lot about the area and you you get to know things like important things like who just got out of jail you yeah. know or when they got out of jail like well okay cool he's gonna be chill for a little bit until something sparks and he wants to go back and that's when they're very volatile dudes have gotten out of jail that want to go back to jail they're almost just test you to go back and it'll be a better sentence if they punch a copper in the face than you know stealing a bag of cheetos or something yeah so. I like you mentioned you say copper because I know that's a big that's a big that's a big uh, term up there. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So I came from the copper badges. You remember that? Chicago yeah, I've, used to I've, I've heard the, I've heard about the legend. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. We just yeah. Don't, yeah. What about the mindset? Because you came from combat mm-hmm. overseas, and then you're immersed into this atmosphere. Your mental. Your mentality, your combat mentality, how did they, did it translate or was it different? It did and it didn't. So it translated in the sense of the ability to go aggressive when it was time, right? Uh, And then turn it off because of the exposures to it, the high level stress situations overseas. And then being able to turn it down, try to go to sleep to wake up to do it again for, you know, 15, 16 months uh, in a deployment. So it, it translated well in that I was a little more fearless slash reckless, maybe. But that also proved to be a very valuable thing to have on the department of a lot of new, just college-educated folks that had no sure. overall experience, right? Um, not that it's good or bad again, but uh, it helped. And then the the transition for me that was key was like, hey, I'm no longer in a war zone. Yes, it's violent. Yes, there's guns. Yes, people are getting killed. It's still similar, but we're at home. And there's a bigger set of consequences here, right? Sure. Uh, so I was still super aggressive. I was still hungry to do all the cool stuff. I was definitely all about the, um, uh, the, the what is it called? Proactive patrolling, I guess, right? Um, Self-initiated? Yeah, everything was self. I wanted to know everything about yeah. everything. And that came, I think, from that military background and having been exposed to those situations where it was a lot of high stress. I was all about it. Uh, I mean, I did dumb shit my first year. I think we all did. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. all did. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, no, the stupid, like, did, fresh out of prison, he's walking at us, yelling at the cop car. And this is, I guess we were able to share a car one day. We were the, the roving car unit for the walking guys. And uh, he starts motherfucking the car. And I'm just like, oh, man. And I was like, I got fed up. Easy to, to upset me at that time. I don't know why. It all went away. Now I'm like super chill. I don't care as much. Um, but I got out. I did the whole vest off thing. Like, I'll fight you right here, motherfucker, in the middle of the street. Uh, his girlfriend's like, don't go back to jail. They're setting you up. My buddy Boris, I just call him Boris. Just to, He looks like a Boris, right? <laughs> He's like, dude, if you do that, you're going to get fucking fired. But I don't care. I'll watch you. I was like, I got you back. I was like, no shit. And he's like, yeah, go do it. And I was like, fuck. So all this shit. And then he's like, actually, no, get the fuck over here. <laughs> and his girl's taking him back. And my buddy's pulling me back. And as cliche as that shit sounds, there's a level of respect you build with somebody else when you're willing to fucking do that shit. And I got my ass beat as a kid all the time. So I'm not scared yeah. of getting beat up. I know what it feels like. It doesn't hurt that bad. You just brush it off, you know, ice it down a little bit right. and back to it. Um, but it helped a lot, I think. Um, and if you're able to switch off that combat military, like aggressive attack and turn it into a more defensive, well-structured, hold your ground activity, it helps a lot. So if, if any veterans are out there struggling with that, transition it over to a hardcore defense because you're defending the land. You're not aggressing the land, right? You're not being this like dominating force. 
but transitioning it from that super aggressive to the more uh, hold your ground, secure the area now instead of destroy everything in front of you. <laughs> okay, so that's from a personal perspective, and, and you've done a lot of teaching as well. Big time. Do you feel like it's easier to try to turn somebody up and bring intensity out of them or to turn that person down? Ooh, that's you, a really great what question. What do you feel like is the most difficult? She's got the best questions on that. No, the I don't. Really yes, she does. Great she does. question. I don't think I've ever. I want your been perspective. No, yeah. because that, you have a, a very unique perspective. Yeah. No, I think uh, turning them up is easier because you can pretty much rattle anybody, right? And you can get under people's skins pretty easy. So you can turn them up in training and get them to do what you want them to do. And then how they act when the situation is over, that's where you kind of have to sit and be patient to see how that, you know, how that comes down for them. And I saw that in the academy when we put them through scenarios, just a silly domestic or whatever, you can get them amped up where like the lady's waving the knife, but she's not really doing anything. She's standing still waving the knife. And you're like, oh shit, what do I do? Do I shoot her? Do I not? Like there's a lot going on. And then one step forward, one step back, and then you're like, oh, shit, what do I do now? And you can see them freaking out. So getting them amped up is a lot more fun, but having them come down is a very personal thing where you have to spend time getting to know them, right? You can turn anybody up, I think, even in training, like tonight's training. I'll get all their heart rates up. I'll get all their aggression going, and then I'll probably just sit and watch to see how fast they can bring that down. But we do talk about both, how to come back down, and breathing is the biggest way. Right. Like I'm talking right now, really fast, getting everything out. The moment I step back from the mic, I'm like, take a breath, refilling the lungs so that my body's getting what it needs. And what it needs is oxygen. Right. It's it's such a small tool, but learning how to breathe will change everything about your game. So, cool, man, that's such a great question. I'm going to have to do a little bit on that. I might do just a podcast on that. Yeah. No, that's good. (laughs) I, I, I trained recruits and I I think my experience was a little bit. I felt different. I always thought it was. I like the ones that I had to turn up more uh, to to tone down because I felt like if you couldn't even react to something that was very obvious, then I didn't think they had as much. I didn't feel like there was as much hope for them. But the some that couldn't, I think it was easier to rein them in than get them fired up because if you can't get fired up to have to yeah protect yourself, then I think there's already some kind of issues. But that's just you know what I experienced and I didn't have that much, but it was just a little bit of what I thought. So I. I don't know. How did you feel about it? Yeah. When I asked that question, I was asking from that perspective. Oh, so I took it a different No, no, you you answered it perfectly because dealing with recruits or, you know, young people who are trying to be police officers, I I look at it from Randy's perspective. It was easier to turn them down a little bit, but their aggression, their intensity was already there Mm -hmm. instead of trying to cattle prod someone and get their intensity to this level. But I didn't take it from his perspective that how do they react once they are there yeah. and i think that is the key point that's what i was after yeah, yeah. and that and yeah. and you have to observe that and then that's where you're right the breathing the training the preparation yeah. comes in yeah so the, that's almost like a three-part thing it's do we amp them up how do they behave when they're amped up and then how do we bring them down so that you don't have to shoot somebody that doesn't need to get shot right some little things like that but i agree it is cool to have the people that just go and go hard and then you're like all right cool turn it off right Mm -hmm. uh that almost does your job for you which is pretty cool um but that that peak performance where they're already redlined and what they do in that redline zone is i think that's where i was going with that well you mentioned it earlier you know shooting 
your bullseye example yeah. where they can put rounds in a bullseye. But what do you do when you're out of breath or when you're stressed or when you're amped? Yeah. And weigh in legality of what sure. you're doing and, and where be, you're at. Yeah. It's so hard to, in any kind of training to simulate real stress. adrenaline dump and it stress, is. you know, that you can't do that to where. Where you can actually test them. Even in the scenarios, you can do a hundred scenarios and there's always going to be a factor where they feel safe. Until you're on the street and then it isn't safe anymore. And it's everything from the legal stuff to your own agency booting you to civil lawsuits, policies, I mean, getting hurt. You know, what are my friends going to think of me? I mean, what are my peers going to think of me if I, you know, if I step up to this fight and I lose? And then there's so much, right? And this is where I think that value of figuring out how they're going to perform once they're redlined. uh, Then you can sway and put them in different positions for things. It's such a key point in training. That isn't taught enough. Correct. And I think that's what you do. That's what that's you, what we yeah, kind of and that is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to that training. Okay. Uh, so when you started up the academy, it seemed like you, did you always have just a natural knack for teaching and speaking? I think I just enjoy teaching. I like, I enjoy teaching because it's that whole double thing where I learn as much from you picking up what I'm putting down. Mm-hmm. I learn more about myself and how I can cater to you after having an experience with you. So to me, I'm constantly learning and watching. I'm like, oh man, that answered the question that I had Mm -hmm. back over there. So it allows me to, to learn things that I wouldn't be looking to learn outside of the material itself. Right. So like if I'm talking to a group of people about carbine work and we're working through carbines and they're like, ah, well, mechanically this feels weird. And I'm like, Ooh, uh, I should probably make a shoulder workout because that'll help you structure your shoulder better for the carving and then now i'm programming other things for like it's just weird i'm learning and building solutions to problems that don't exist yet through what i'm trying to teach them to solve in the day that we're doing this um but yeah just i i think that i've always liked communicating i think i'm an introvert i told my girl this yesterday i was like i think i'm an introvert but when it's time to communicate i'm all about being out there and talking and doing it and then i'll go sit in my hotel room and be really well you quiet. probably you <laughs> yeah you gotta recharge yeah, yeah. You, you spend so much energy doing what you do then you go like, shit yes. i gotta i gotta like she said i gotta recharge and i gotta go and get my quiet place this is what i tell instructors too when i'm moving through and helping develop leadership uh if you're not taxed like if you're not mentally and physically tired you're not doing enough like you have to watch people see their mannerisms give them what you're going to give them like we said earlier and then physically you're performing as well right and you're grabbing and touching and i tell people like hey i'm going to touch you and we're going to move and we're going to do this this and that's super interactive and they're feeling that energy and i'll grab their arm and i'll do a little shake and then like oh shit and they get fired up like there's a lot of intensity uh to doing something at a high level i think and it is tiring but it's it's good i've watched your uh your your videos from from your, <laughs> that is some hardcore training and i was fun. telling chris white whenever he came on for his episode i said damn i, I said do anybody have any injuries on that because that's some hardcore shit I'd blow out my knee. So my yeah. poor knee couldn't handle it. There's, there's no people get hurt, but no, no injuries. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. You get slight so strains here I and mean, there. You get ripped up hands from grinding them on the ground and rolling around, bruises everywhere. You probably get muzzle thumped a few times in the ribs and little things like that. And um, definitely get your uh, uh, sim <laughs> war wounds, right? Your yeah. scars. Uh, but nobody's gotten injured to the point where we needed a. Uh, in Axville or an ambulance for our listeners out there tell them exactly what you do what you teach (laughs) so it's a it's a little bit of a clash of two worlds 
It's self-defense combatives, and I'm not an original in this space. It's just something that I saw a lot in the narcotics world. I was like, man, we're not fighting over things that are potentially hand-to-hand transactions, right? And uh, I haven't officially released, like, the name of what what the program is going to be called, but I'll just throw it out now. I think I'm going to call it the Art of Four Hands because it's four hands fighting for a gun, fighting for a knife. So it's your hands, it's your two hands, and my two hands, right? So it's like the Art of Four Hands going at it. Um, but what it is, it's a mix of shooting. There's medical involved, just quick stuff, like, uh, putting on a tourniquet really quickly just in case you need to. Um, and then we're we're dealing with situations where, and this is funny because a lot of the material in the program uh, has to do with hands, right? So what do officers carry? They carry handguns. They carry handcuffs. They carry handheld flashlights. There's a lot of the word hand in this play, but nobody's teaching you how to hand fight. And it's a very basic thing in wrestling is doing hand fighting. Wrist ties, catching the hands, catching the wrist, drags, little things where you're just playing with the hands a lot. So your eyes are constantly able to grab things that are being presented, right? So that's what's a lot in our program is teaching you how to find the hands really quickly. The hands deliver the message, right? So if somebody has a gun or a knife, the hands are having to do something to get there. So I teach a lot of the, the hand fighting stuff and being able to grab that. So imagine yourself on the range, you do some live fire shooting. We do some drills and then we bring out some sim guns and we fight over sim guns uh, in situations that mirror self-defense uh, scenarios. Can you explain to the listener what a sim gun is? We know, but there's a yeah. lot of people, civilians that listen and don't know. So simunition, um, it's a gun that fires. It still has powder in it. it. It's a cartridge. It still has a primer and it fires a paint pellet or there doesn't have to be a paint pellet in it, but it just files a soft projectile that doesn't penetrate or pierce the skin. It does. I mean, it can cut you a little bit. They can bit. hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what it simulates is being shot. So you do have to be really mindful of where the muzzle's pointing and moving the muzzle away from you. And if you're trying to grab their gun, the gun can go off. It simulates great um, malfunctions, things that you have to fix and clear. If you do grab a real gun and somebody discharges it and you're holding the slide, boom, it goes off. You have to clear that in order to get the gun to work again. So these are a lot of activities that uh, they expect, especially law enforcement, to be able to do, but then they don't provide the training for it. Um, and so with Rogue Methods, that's what I'm trying to do is just fill in the blank for civilian people, who law-abiding citizens who carry guns and law enforcement that carry guns professionally is uh, how to keep them, how to recover them if they're lost, and then how to fix them if they kind of go into a malfunction state from having a tussle over them. Okay. Under stress. Under oh, yeah. absolute it's stress. Extreme yeah. stress. Well, yeah. And you mentioned hands. A lot of our job is hand strength. Yeah. And so for the a lot of the women out there who go into law enforcement, that's one of the main things that I always addressed at the academy was hand strength. Mm. So can you give like three quick exercises for people out there that need to, first of all, build that foundation yeah. and have some stronger hands? So there's really, so a foundational one is wrist mobility. So if you can move your wrist around without moving your wrist. So see how my arm kind of moves up and down and it makes my wrist move. So wrist mobility work. Find anything wrist mobility because the stronger your wrist is, the stronger your grip's going to be, right? Okay. And then basic stuff that we all have at home, if you have a table uh, or a hanging bar for pull-ups, just hang for as long as you possibly can because your grip starts to open, so you're fighting the opening sure. and the closing. And it, that simulates uh, the potential. If, if I'm grabbing onto somebody's wrist or somebody's clothes and they're pulling away, it helps me with that closing grip strength. 
Uh, and then just, uh, I have it. I don't know if anybody else does, but I know a lot of other martial arts dudes do buckets with sand in it or, or rice. And you just stick your hands in there and grab it and let it go. Okay. Stick your hands in there, grab it and let it go. Uh, I think it's, it's weird. So I don't think average people would want to do that, <laughs> but a bucket or a bowl, and you can just put your hand in and grab all the grains. And as the grains fall apart, your grip is able to close. If you can imagine that, right. I'm holding a bunch of grains of rice and they're crumpling and then just falling out. And I'm able to let them all go grab another batch and crush. Uh, that gives you those crushing and grabbing and holding. But you need That's the great. grip to hold. So like the hanging off the bar, that'll give you that long endurance to hold on to something. And then the quick grabs gives you that oh shit moment where if you grab somebody by the throat or the ear or the arm and you're able to yank them really quickly, it gives you that. So very, I think those very, are cool, easy yeah. ways to do that. And do wow. your push-ups. Do your push-ups, people. Yeah. <laughs> push-ups, when I do push-ups, I'm not really just doing push-ups. I'm pushing something away. That's really what a push-up is to me. So I think mm-hmm. if you... I teach this a lot. Anything that we do, if we can translate it to something fun or, or, or something that makes more sense to you, like a push-up to me, pushing the world away instead of just pushing myself up, right? Uh, there's a Chuck Norris joke like that. I, I always liked it after that. Like <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the world away or yeah. something. <laughs> um, and then in squats, I'm, I'm just squatting to get low and jump or squatting to get low and get away or little things that I think if we can make them fun, I think people would start doing more of them. So when you you left Chicago PD, what what made you leave uh, that apartment, and where did you go? That's another girl story. All right, well, wow, <laughs> it's a pattern here. It's a pattern here. <laughs> oh, yeah, we all have our patterns. Right? Yeah. Um, no, so I was vacationing in Sedona, Arizona, mm-hmm. and it's a town over from Prescott, and. Just imagine these beautiful red rocks, mountains, right? These mesas, three mm. different layer colors. Like you have your your rusty reds and then your whites in the middle and then the rusty reds on top. It's like this cool mountains, uh, some green, some not so green. And then even the roads are red, right? Because of the iron in, in, in the soil. And so we're hanging on these back roads and there's nobody out for miles. You can't even see houses or anything. And the deputy sheriff's vehicle just comes flying by these back roads. And I was like, that was awesome. They pay this dude to drive around these back roads. And I'm driving around swampy, nasty (laughs) street alleys in Chicago. (laughs) Like, that's gross. This guy gets paid to do this. So (laughs) after the trip is over, I'm at the airport in Phoenix. I call that agency. I was like, do you guys take laterals from Chicago? They're like, if you're certified through Chicago, you can come right on, take the test, and be on the road right away. Wow. I was like, damn, okay. So I go back. I flip a coin with my boss. I was like, tails I stay, heads I go. It lands, and he's like, see ya. And I was like. Gutsy move. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because, so I'm at the academy at that point, and I had put in an application. It was right before the DOJ started investigating the Chicago Police Department. Do you guys remember when that popped off? Yeah. Uh, so I left right before the investigation started. <laughs> Not that it's here or no, there, right? But uh, I had put in for the Chicago PD's intelligence unit. And they kind of do like the terrorism stuff, all the cool undergroundish stuff, I guess. Um, but I, was, I wanted to go to that. I was like, that'll be a cool next step after having done all the other stuff. And I did have a weird nickname. I was a three-year wonder. Like, dudes were <laughs> mad at me because I was going places fast. And I didn't even care. I was too busy trying to go somewhere else, right? And I think you have a lot more fun trying to go places. Uh, So you're looking, you're doing the best that you can here because you know that somebody's going to mention you somewhere else. So you never just slack where you are. You're like, shit, everything I do has to be right. My paperwork has to be right. Everything needs to be right. Um, 
so yeah, it was, uh, it, it, <laughs> I digress into those stories too. So yeah, I call them. They're like, Hey, come over. And I send in the packet, get everything done. And then the biggest concern was the polygraph with all the narcotic stuff and all the weird stuff we were doing. Mm-hmm. They're all like, uh, anything weird on the polygraph. I was like, probably not, but maybe. And then they're like, all right, we'll take it anyway. <laughs> so I come in, I do all the paperwork. Uh, I do the polygraph with them. The guy's kind of looking at me like, hmm, I don't know how to read this test the way I normally would. He's like, oh, you passed anyway, so it's cool. I was like, right on. I was like, man. So that's two two <laughs> two good polygraphs after a lifelong um, military in Chicago and stuff. Yeah, yeah, wow. and uh, yeah, I was there uh, two or three months later, and then I was on the road two months after that. So you just had to do the the formal stuff, right? The law test, the the traffic test, just for Arizona specific, and then I jumped right onto the road with an FTO just to show me around because it's eighty six hundred square miles. I think uh, for all of Yavapai, and it's broken into four sections, and there's a total of maybe 125 deputies, and 20 are on per shift. So 8,000 miles, 20 people. That's a big change. That's huge. But it was such a great change for me because I like driving. I don't know if you guys enjoy driving, but I really enjoy driving. So I would drive from the north area, so Prescott, all the way up to Seligman, the most furthest northwest town in our um, county and it would take about an hour and 45 minutes wow. just to get there and be like Tom and Susie and they're like oh we're good don't worry about it and I'm like alright back to a, another hour and a half back to the station um, so it was a lot of cool a lot of driving back roads a lot of weird calls uh, I had a it wasn't mine but I was in the car we had some cows smash up one of our vehicles like they horned it we got too close to them and the, the mama cow got pissy and she horned the the light right off the back of the of the cruiser. <laughs> so you go from dealing with Latin kings to freaking getting <laughs> gouged get by the chased up, yeah. So it, it's such a crazy change, but it was good. And it, and I talk about this a lot because it, it does give me the big city metropolis right. conversation and then the super sure. rural deputy side of it where I was wearing a cowboy hat and boots, and it was it was pretty cool. I've seen some pictures. I'm going to get some <laughs> – when we release your episode, I'm going to get some pictures of you in that, uh, the sheriff hat. I saw that. <laughs> All right. So you negotiated a barricaded subject case as a new deputy. Can you talk about that incident? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that was a tough one for me because I thought I was right. And I guess we all think we're right, right, when we're mm-hmm. handling a high-stress situation. And looking back now, I'm still kind of like, mm, I think that would have went my way. Uh, we will never know now. but So that story is an interesting one. Uh, it's a call of a domestic, and the dude basically threatens to kill her, right? So she comes and reports this to, to the station in town. And if you can imagine, it's just a long stretch of road about 45 minutes away from town. And then in Arizona, do you guys go camping a lot? ish it's been a while yeah so in arizona you can stay in a in the in the public land for up to 14 days and then you basically just have to move like 20 feet and then you can stay for another 14 days <laughs> right so people do this all the time they just go camping for a couple weekends in, in the middle of the forest and are they in a tent or are they in a like a, an rv they're in an rv okay. so it's like one of those like drive up ones mm-hmm. and then uh you can detach the car and the, she's using the car back and forth to go into town, and then they have animals. It's, a, it's such a complex, weird situation, right? And the dude's kind of fed up with her, and she's kind of like a mean, like, lady. She was mean to us, but she's reporting, and she's showing us the messages, and he is saying these things, right? So you're kind of like, you have to kind of take it, right, and deal with what it is. But 
she starts seeing this other dude in town, and that creates more problems, yeah. right? So I'm just gonna give you backstory. She not so that you understand <laughs> the dude's mentality, but the whole situation, right? So we're kind of telling her like, "Hey, you're with this other dude. Why are you messing with him and going up there once a week and you know talking shit and then leaving?" to go stay at your other guys and telling him that like, you know what I mean? Uh, so that happens. We're like, all right, cool. We're going to go talk to him about the situation of him and, and uh, him threatening the killer. Right. Uh, she kind of ghosts us for a little bit and we go out there and he, he calls the department and he's like, I see the deputy vehicles rolling up. Don't let them get any closer. They get any closer. We're going to start, I'm going to start shooting. And I was like, Oh shit. This is escalating beyond what I thought it was going to escalate. So we hold off. We're watching. I'm talking to him through the megaphone. He seemed all right. So I'm talking to him through the megaphone, and he's responding through the phone via the, <laughs> the dispatch, right? So it's like mm-hmm. this chain. Uh, and then so we cooled it off, and then I was like, hey, uh, do we have anything on this guy? I call her, and I ask her if she's got family or his family phone numbers or anything like that. I call his family. And I talked to his brother, and his brother's like, oh, shit, what's going on? Like, he left with this crazy broad. So now Mm -hmm. his story is different, right? His story is she's the crazy one with my brother. And she's the one telling us that he's crazy because he's got all these pets and he's holding the pets. It's weird, right? But the story gets a lot better. I'm filling you in so it makes sense. And so all this happens, and he's just in there, and he's like, I'm not coming out. Finally, I get him on the phone. And I'm like, dude, I need you to... come out of the house meet me at the gas station it's about 10 miles up the road meet me at this gas station we'll talk it out there we'll figure it out basically i wanted to get him out of that area right i wanted to get him out of the house where the guns are where all the other things are and if i can get him in a car it's a lot easier to take a car down than it is to take a house down right it was a decent sized rv so he's like all right um give me two minutes and i was like awesome done we got him he's gonna be driving i'll go meet him there we'll talk to him i'll talk him down get him in cuffs we'll sort this whole thing out um dispatch is like no don't let him go at this point it's become a critical incident because he said he was going to shoot at officers right Um, Mm -hmm. as we rolled up so the commander for the evening or whoever was in charge of the lieutenant was like don't let him leave the house keep him in the house keep him contained and i was like that's a bad idea like he just agreed to meet us over here and with no no weapons no nothing he was just going to drive up we're going to talk about the situation and figure it all out and that's what i was pitching and that's what i wanted to happen and it's what it, it sounded like over the conversation it sounded like the vibe was right everything was good he agreed to it and then uh when he was ready to go they said no don't leave tell him not to leave right and so it became a long incident where they sent SWAT up (laughs) and then the SWAT vehicle breaks down because it's a heavy armored vehicle driving 60 miles away right that's a long 40 60 miles away uh it doesn't get used often right so Mm. it's small towns Um, and they're not an active team so they're like uh they're like a call-out team. A regional team? A regional, yeah. When yeah. something happens, they call the five officers on call that night, and they go, and they build a team. Uh, nothing wrong with those guys. Those guys are all awesome. They show up. They're like, cool, we're going to do what we do. And I was on the phone with them still, and now it becomes a negotiation where, like, the dude's like, anybody comes any closer, I'll shoot myself. I'll start shooting you guys if you guys pass this line. And it's weird because he he... he I guess maybe it's it's more on my side because I had already been talking to him. Mm-hmm. I kind of had like a sense when he was just like saying shit to say shit and when he was like serious. Uh, not that I knew him well, but uh, at some point 
the negotiator shows up, the trained negotiator right. for the department. He's like, give me that kid. And when he had to start, start the rapport all over again. Yeah, basically. so yeah. he takes that, and he calls the guy, and the, the dude, it's on speakerphone, he, like, motherfucks the new guy, the new, uh, the, what do we call him? The negotiator dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, fuck you. I don't want to talk to you, man. I don't want to talk to Raul. He used my first name. I was like, oh, shit. Now we're in deep. <laughs> and uh, the dude's like, well, nope. You got to deal with me. And then he becomes super agitated. Like, fuck this. Fuck all of you. I was like, oh, this is rough. Uh, and I still wanted that. I was like, we can still get him out of the vehicle as long as everybody leaves. We can probably still get, or get him out of the house, into the vehicle, and then move him, right? Uh, but that was a no-go at that point. They nixed that there. Said, no, absolutely not. And so he's in the house. And the negotiator dude's kind of like pissy at me, and I get it, right? He's the professional, I'm the new guy there, uh, having come from Chicago. But I was like, dude, I, this would work. Um, they didn't. It, it, it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. So he's not talking to that negotiator anymore. Uh, the lieutenant gets on the phone, I believe, and he tries to talk to him. And again, he brushes him off, just talk to Ro. And I'm like, hey, dude, I need you to just come out now. Like, SWAT's here. Like, this is going to go one of two ways, right? They're going to come get you. And so they, they prime up on the windows. They, they chuck gas in. The moment the glass breaks, you just hear a gunshot in the house. Sure. Boom. And I was like, fuck. I just put all my stuff down. Like, everything that I was holding out. So I was like, ah, what It's over I? now. Ah, it's done. Like, you don't need me anymore. I'll start the paperwork down, down at the station. Uh, but I'm sitting there. And they sent everybody who was involved. The, the dispatchers were relieved and they were brought to the scene. Everybody who was involved, this was like an eight hour, 10 hour thing. Uh, and everybody came up and they like did a debrief thing. And I was like, why didn't we just let them drive to the drug, safety, this and safety. That. I was like, yes and no. Like I get it. Right. Command points. They have their, their points of reasons or reasons to do things. But to me, it didn't make sense to do that if we had already had the dude agreeing. And this is the biggest lesson for me in that situation is if I was ever to be in a supervisor role would be to communicate more with the officer and find out the reasonings why the officer wants to do what he's doing first instead of saying no and then canceling that whole um, that that setup that that person is trying to do. Uh, I didn't say in law enforcement long enough to become a supervisor or anything like that, but uh, advice in, into that role, right? If you guys are listening, uh, sometimes if you trust somebody, let them do what they're going to do and, and hear it out first uh, and maybe see the outcomes to that. But that was shitty because the dude was really cool. Like before it, it all escalated, all the conversations on the phone with him, he seemed all right. In my opinion, I think she was the one that was the uh, instigator mm. and making his life hell. And he was just kind of like backed into a corner. So, but that was shitty. How long did you stay uh, with the sheriff's department after that? About six months. Did you? Okay. Yeah, that was right in the middle. Um, uh, yeah, it was probably six months. The, the big one for me, uh, there was a, f- a bunch of random incidents. We had like this multiple agency thing, uh, and they had new cops too. So I'm standing looking at this dude, and he's at the entrance of uh, – do you know how the – if you look at like a Kroger or any sort of grocery store, it's got the sliding doors and then next to it, there's like archways and then there's more stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's in the, in that archway and he's got a gun in his hand. And then uh, another PD officer rolls up this way with less lethal and they discharge the less lethal accidentally. Like they were like, well, well that wasn't us. I was like, well, it was you, man. There's nobody else here. <laughs> and they was, they shot the beanbag into the ground. And I'm like looking at the dude like, oh my God, is he going to start going? And he was just as confused, I think, by what happened. And uh, so we just approached, I put him in cuffs, and I got in trouble because they didn't like the way I handcuffed the guy. 
I was like, well, he didn't have a gun anymore because I had talked him into putting it into the garbage can. I heard it fall into the garbage can. I come up and I just turn around and put him in cuffs. They're like, he should have been on the ground and uh. proned out. Yeah, or I walked like, back to. I get it if he was hostile. At that point, he was just done. He was tired. He just wanted to be in jail, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so again, just the way we see things. Um, but the big one, the reason why I left the department too, uh, a few little things. But uh, we had a buddy in Iraq who ended up burning in a vehicle. And it sucked. I hit the back wheels, hit an IED. He ended up burning the view. Couldn't get the doors open. It was a shit situation. And we rolled up to a call of a head-on collision. And a dad and daughter, they were already starting to burn alive. Like, right as we rolled in. His legs were pinned, so he he was, like, trying to crawl away and, like, pull himself on the ground. But there's nothing to hold on to. And his legs are trapped. So he's charred in this, like, pulling position. Like, gnarly charred. And I was like, ah. So, little flashbacks as to what had happened in Iraq. And then... The little girl was in the middle. The two girls next to her were able to get out. The little girl in the middle wasn't. So she stayed in the car with dad. And I mean, that was a, that was a tough one. And then we had uh, helicopters come in to, to medevac people. And that whole thing was just like, it was a lot. I was like, ah, I'm going to do something more cool, like teach and not have to deal with this shit yeah. anymore. What's well, uh, a mental, it's a mental toll. And you go from what you dealt with in Iraq. And then I want to go back, you know, the, uh, the ATO, we provide, mental health services confidentially uh, to officers uh, and firefighters. And we're seeing a big uptick since our July 7th shootings. Yeah. In your police experience, did did you have, did you feel that officers had good support when it comes to mental health and wellness? I think the support's available. And I think just, people brush it off right it's like you got to be tough you got to do this you got to do that and you do i mean don't get me wrong you do have to be able to like compartmentalize these things and channel them but you also have to be able to vent and that's where that courage comes in your ability to be like oh shit i should probably talk about this because now it's like now i'm angry at the kids and i'm thinking about this like that's when it starts to get into your personal life that you should talk to somebody uh you can hold on to a lot of stuff and most people do right um but it was available i think few of our of our guys used it we had uh somebody in our class died in a motorcycle accident on the way to work one of our officers in chicago and then we had another guy shoot himself in the parking lot because his girlfriend was leaving him and like in uniform in a fucking patrol car just or he was in his car but in full uniform and he shoots himself and like we're all rolling up to the station and they were talking about it i was like jesus um so there's a lot of stuff and i think people just don't know how to approach it Right. So maybe asking questions, not necessarily about the incident that you're dealing with, but how to approach a conversation around those incidents. I think if you find the bigger, broader question, it's more of a like a shoulder bump than a direct, you know, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, everybody's di- everybody's different. Nobody wants to be forced to do it, especially cops. They don't want to be forced to do anything, uh, but knowing it's available. Um, and and we have, like I said, we have seen a huge uptick. Right. Randy with with just the amount of. We know the what the ATO is paying for the the therapist sessions. for the therapy. Sessions. Yeah, sometimes it's not about talking, but about learning about tools to find your own outlet. Like, what was your outlet that that helped you? I just trained more. Like, I just physically trained more. I think I got all my aggression out by doing stuff physically. Um, I did talk to people here and there, but it wasn't anything like uh, like I 
and and I do now. I think we mature at certain points in life. Sure. We're like, okay, now I'm ready to do this, right? Now I'm ready to commit. Like I said earlier, um, there are going to be waves where you learn to be better about yourself. Uh, but for me, it was uh, I read more. I, I internalized things, but I would actually process them. I didn't just have them inside. I'd be like, oh, shit, well, what did this situation make me feel? Okay, these are the vast emotions that I felt. Why did I feel them? Okay, this was because of this. This was because of that. The, the, the sadness is because of this and the potential for their family to be feeling what I'm feeling. And if I'm feeling it on this tiny scale, imagine what their family's feeling, right? So you go into this whirlwind of sure. information that you can start actually channeling into. And be like, okay, well, cool. I'm not the family, so... I don't have to feel that sad about this, but I'll reach out to the family, see how the family's doing. So little ways to just heal almost by figuring out what the problem actually is and then breaking it down into little pieces, I think. Because like it's kind of what you're saying, the emotional intelligence, like being able to break into who you are, why it's affecting you, and then what you can do to fix those little things instead of just trying to be like, well, I was involved in this shooting, help me. Right? That's a very different approach, but I feel like that's what dudes are like suckered into thinking that that's what help is. Sure, and, and recognizing patterns, and I think it translates to training, like you teach, mm-hmm. recognizing what patterns and that you do, that you make mistakes, and then making a concentrated effort to fix them. That's the big one, right? Yeah. That's where a lot of personal development happens, when you're willing to change some things about who you are. Speaking on that, when you uh, transition to the private sector and training, mm-hmm. can you explain to the listener what, what you do now? We talked about rogue methods, but can you talk about more about what's going on with you? Yeah. So now it's uh it's it's on the road 24/7 pretty much. I think uh the last 2 years I've been on the road 270 days of the year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and the mission is simple. I, I want to take and I don't I don't think it's unique to me. I think people that just like sharing information have this thing where like I learned all this cool stuff. I don't want to die with it. I want to share it with people and dump it on. Hopefully it helps somebody else. Uh, And that's my whole mission is to share everything that I've learned that worked for me that was fun at some point. And I don't lie about experience in the sense that this experience worked for me at this time. Will you ever be able to replicate that situation? Never. Sure. It'll never be the same two people. It'll never be the same temperature. It'll never be the same anything, right? The world has already spun and did its own thing. So we're teaching based on the experiences that we've seen either personally or through our people. And we have to continue to explore experiences, more modern ones, uh, because of that. Because nothing will ever be the same. So there's no like, this is going to work because of that. It's like, hey, let's explore here. Let's see where you take this. And then it's like, okay, this is where like learning from other people. Like I'll let them just do their thing. And then I'm like, oh shit, they did something completely different than I thought they were going to do. And now we're starting to see better patterns, better behavior based on just basic understanding of things. So what we're doing is we're traveling around the country. We're teaching people um, firearms and tactics. We're teaching people fighting and self-defense over guns. And the idea is just to give people an experience and a little bit of an exposure to a violent incident that we're all trying to prepare for, right? Or we're all like, and I hope I never do have to do this, but you might, right? So they'll get it in training. And it's pretty aggressive. It's pretty, it's not progressive in the sense that it's it's original to what I'm doing. There's a few other guys in the, in the, in the industry that have been doing it a lot longer. And now there's just a better capacity with guys coming on to do it. And my reach is there. I was like, well, if I can reach these many people, I'm going to do it. I'm like, let's go, right? So I have three classes a month every month for the next year or so. So, so you're booked. 
we are booked. The dates are out there. The classes are filling. Uh, there are small classes too. I cap them at 14. I think 14 is that sweet spot where you can have people training two instructors, um, really getting a lot of good information out. And it's when it's scenario based and you guys have taught, you guys know the scenarios take longer than just static sure. training, right? Or a hey, swing this baton or shoot this taser. That's easy. It's when you create the scenario and then you try to give them the good energy. Like I know that you'll attack a certain way, but I don't want you to attack the Joe way. I want you to attack bad guy way, right? And so Joe would do this, this, and that. I don't want you to do that. I want you to just pull like you're frantically trying to get something away from somebody. So now we're actually giving them the bad guy energy, right? The, oh shit, I need to do this in a sense of uh, a crime of opportunity. And if I can't get it, I'm out because I don't want to go to jail over this, right? I'm not committed to that situation. So I think building the right scenarios and giving them the right energy helps people learn a lot faster. And that's, that's all that I'm programming and putting into the Rogue Methods program. So it's teaching and training, traveling. There's a little bit of leadership development a ton of communication development people don't know that they're showing up but they're to 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 learn to communicate better but just in the process of the day they're communicating with new people they're building camaraderie uh there's been a lot of people that didn't know they lived next to each other and they're like a mile away neighbors and now they're hanging out with each other and training and that's kind of why i like the travel training thing so like in dallas this happens a lot like oh man i live you know a mile away from you uh i didn't know you live that close do you go to this range and like yeah I go to that same range. Well, now they got range buddies, right? So now it's helping people build this network in this community. And they've all been through some tough stuff. Like our training's pretty tough. And you, uh, you train both civilians and law enforcement? We do. Okay. I, I, so there's this thing in the military world, right? And you probably heard it from a lot of the higher end dudes. They're like, oh, I don't want to teach tactics to civilians. And there, there's, a, there's a yes and no, right? You want to get them trained to the level that you expect them to be at, right? So if you, you show up and you're like, this is what I know, I'll be like, cool, I'm going to get you to this. I don't expect you to be doing cool guy door kicking stuff because that's not your place anyway. So a great example is home defense, right? Home defense is reverse CQB. That's it, right? So for CQB, we're going in, right? For home defense, you're coming out. So I teach people that. I teach them how to clear from the inside out, and then we talk about the outside in. It's just, it's the role is different, but it's the same stuff. So really, I'm not teaching them anything different than I would be teaching a law enforcement team because you're still learning angles. You're still learning hard walls and soft walls and new corner-fed rooms. You're learning all that stuff. It's just with a different perspective. So all the tactics are the same. Everything is genuinely as good as it would be for the military and law enforcement just to the application of the individual in front of you. So when it's coppers, we talk about cop stuff and how it works for law enforcement. And when it's military, it's more military stuff. When it's civilians, it's how to be faster and find better places to be instead of staying there for the long haul. Because civilians don't have to be there, right? Law enforcement goes there to be there. And even then, they don't have to be there, right? Because you have the specialty teams that come with way better equipment that can handle a situation for a longer period of time. So, Like the SWAT units show up. Yeah. But, yeah. but tactics have changed. Yeah. yeah, with the with the the change of policing over, I would say the last five years, tactics have changed. Has it changed your teaching methods, or have you kept it, it simple? It does. I keep it as simple as I can. It's one of those things where like, I need you to be able to perform, <laughs> and if it's too complicated, you'll get lost in all the sure. razzle dazzle techniques, right? So it needs to be simple. Uh, I use this example a lot. When I got to the deputies or the sheriff's office, um, they would park at the base of a hundred yard walk or driveway and walk to the house. 
I was like, why are we doing that? <laughs> this is the way we do it here. And I was like, well, in Chicago, I would drive all the way to the house because in the car I have other guns, bigger guns. The car itself is a barrier, and my radio repeater in the car is way better than the little handheld one that I have. They're like, yeah, but that's not how we do it here. And I was like, ah, right, cool. I'll do what you guys want to do, but this is why I would do this. Well, if you needed to extract somebody, too, you actually have an ambulance sitting right yeah. there, too, with lights and sirens. You need to yeah. get to the hospital in a squad car. So it just different tactics for different regions and areas and mm-hmm. how people do things. And I get it. The mentality in the old days was, yeah, you just walk up, you say hello, but that's not how things have changed these days. And then they had an incident uh, at that office where they were pinned down hiding behind bushes and sheds because they left their cars down the driveway the dude came out and started shooting at him i was like well that's a great example as to why why not have the car with you um but tactics change people change uh the world itself changes right weapons change that changes tactics as well there weren't a lot of ak's on the street unless you were like high level bad dudes now there's ak's pretty much everywhere so that changes a lot of things yeah um what's your go-to weapon pistol Right now, I'm a huge fan of the the Glock 45. Why? Because it's small enough to conceal, but it's got the full grip of a 17, right? Okay. So it's the bo- it's the slide of a ni- of a Glock 19, and it's the body of a 17. So full grip, nice meaty grip on it, and then just a short enough barrel that's still super accurate for the distances that I would need. And uh, it's just an easy gun to play with. But I really like that they came out with that design. What about your go-to to create stress? In training? Yeah. Uh, super simple. You ready? I'm ready. Running around. So you just get their heart rate up running. So it's not even running like, Hey, we're just going to run in a circle. It's running with a purpose, right? So I'll create different level barricades. So as you're running, you get there and you're in a high squat and then you're going to sprint to the next one. And it's not a big dash. It's from here to the end of the table, right? Seven, 10 yards, but then it's a low squat. So your legs are getting up, down, up, down, sprint, up, down, slow, stop, go. Uh, and I think that's tr- true stress. That, that'll, it'll replicate more realistic stress because that's what people are doing. When we're watching these videos, they're running from the front of the car to the middle of the car to the back of the car. So all they're doing is changing their level a little bit, right? It's so like high squat, low squat, mid squat, and then running and sprinting and then stopping. So I try to replicate that things that I've been through that I've seen that I was like, man, why am I tired right now? Sure. And it was two car lengths, but on my way to the end of the second car, I was up, down, up, down, moving and looking. So I create the stress with environmental cues, like read the environment and then get there without overly exposing. So I don't make people do burpees and throw kettlebells and all this stuff. I'm like, I can get your heart rate pretty high just with those up down movements and then getting to where you need to get to. And it's proven really well. Like people like that. They're like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to do 50 burpees and go shoot. Sure. I was like, well, I've never done 50 burpees and had to fight anybody. <laughs> right? I know I've chased a lot of people and turned corners and jumped over stuff and then fought people. So I try to give them things that are more in that realm of realism. That's great. So you set up like obstacles basically and just a. Uh in the, within the environment for them to go to? Yeah, less obstacles and more just uh, uh, stations almost. Okay. Right? So if we can imagine this, and I mean, you guys are listening, you're not watching, but I'll paint the picture with words. I'll have you run up to one set of barriers here. You'll do your shooting on that side. You'll look over, you'll start to get here, and this barrier is just short. So now you're super low. And then the next one, and it's just like a daisy chain effect, but you're running and sprinting, and all I'm trying to have them play in their mind <laughs> is uh, – you're in a parking lot. You're in a Walmart parking sure. lot, and all the cars are parked, and you're just getting from car to car. You're going from the exit of Walmart or the entrance of Walmart, and you're trying to get to your car. And that's what these little things replicate. So it's nothing – in the extremes, it's not running from 
patrol to patrol vehicle unless it's a law enforcement scenario right it's just something as simple as that's the walmart entrance that's where your family is get there without overly exposing and then finding a good way to get there because that's the way you're going to exfil your family out then they're like oh well then I, i need to it's very different when we do things personally right the way i act alone is very different than the way i act with family sisters cousins anybody uh, then I'm like, the considerations change drastically. Um, so I have them think of that, like you're going in as one, but you might be coming out with two, three. So everything you're doing on your way in, you should have a plan for two, three on your way out. And that puts people into the right mindset to do things. Yeah, that's, that's great. Do you like training civilians and in, in law enforcement together? And I why? do. Why, why is that? <laughs> I do because of the, it's rebuilding that unity between the community and even the people that aren't criminals that deal with the, they watch the news, right? So that's a lot of where they get their interaction with law enforcement. It's not even firsthand interactions. Uh, when they get to see them in class, they are standoffish of each other. Cops kind of go one side, <laughs> and then they mm-hmm. go over here. And then I'll just mix and mash throughout the day. Like, hey, you two switch, you two switch, and Tom and Sam and Susie and everybody's shaking hands. And, like, that's a big deal for me. I shake everybody's hand in the class, and then we take all our glasses off. We all look at each other in the eyes, and I'm like, we're going to have a safe day. It's your responsibility to create the safety, not mine. I will create the environment that it's safe, but each one of you owns this shit. And we all look at each other in the eye and everybody agrees and they all look at each other and it creates this pack with everybody. And now we're all working together, even if I'm not saying we're working together. Right. And so when you see the law enforcement guys with the regular folk and sometimes more often than not, some of the civilian dudes shoot better than some of the cops. Yeah. And they're like, man, that dude with that little <laughs> he's that little Keltec, he's yeah. shooting better than me. He's got a Lorsen. And I'm like, yeah, dude, what's up with that? And then he's like, I need to step up my game. And then they end up becoming friends. And he's like, well, how do you do that? And he's like, oh, you know, a little of this, a little of that. And then now you have this communication that was never going to be there. Good. So that's why I like fusing the classes with both. And then you put a fight situation where the copper should win every fight, right? Because your job is to go there and control the situation. Now they're wrestling a 16-year-old kid who's really good at just fundamental wrestling, right? Freestyle wrestling, let's say. And he's putting the cop on his butt and he's taking the gun from the cop. And the scenario isn't take the gun from the cop. It's Joe, who is a law enforcement officer, is in this class with Steve, who's this other person, and they're having to figure this out together. And so all that builds a a different sense of uh, communication, a different sense of unity. And then everybody fist pumps, high fives, and it's just a good time. And I really like the the, the idea of, of combining training, but I also like the separation of training too, because then I can really dedicate the ideas behind law enforcement the ideas behind civilian defense and then the ideas behind the military. But fusing them is is awesome, and I think everybody likes that. How do you like to train on your own? So a lot of the drills, so we have a few drills, right? These The assessment drills I don't do on my own because they're for that day. Like, how good are you today? That's the kind of opening drills that I like to do for people. And I don't practice those because I want to know how good I am that day too, right? So if I fumble, I drop a mag or something like, shit, that's me today. It didn't happen the last three classes, but for some reason today, something different. Uh, So I like these drills where it actually analyzes the individual's performance to start, right? So I don't do those drills because I get get this question a lot like, oh, you're really good at that drill because you do it all the time. I was like, no, I only do it once in the class with you. That's it. And I try to change it every time, and it's a shooter assessment drill where I'm looking at everything, how you pick up a gun, how you load a gun, how you unload a gun, how you shoot a gun, right? Little things like that. Uh, and then my personal training, I dry fire a lot. I work out in the garage and I dry fire just so that I know how to hold a gun. Best dry fire advice in the world, hold a gun like it's actually going to fire a bullet. 
that's it, right? Mm-hmm. People dry fire with loose grips, and then they go to shoot a real gun and it cracks, and they're like, oh no, what is yeah. this, right? So if you dry fire, dry fire with a max grip, like if the gun was actually going to fire, and then ease off just a little bit. But I do that. I do a lot of weight training, a lot of hanging from the bar <laughs> just to build grip strength, right? And then uh, dry fire training, I do a lot of jujitsu. Uh, and then I get in every one of these drills, every single drill that you see in those videos. I do one of those drills every class once or twice with everybody. Yeah. Speaking of the videos, can you go ahead and tell the listener where, where to find your, uh, your information? Go ahead and yeah. hit your stage. Uh, <laughs> so the website's rogue-methods.com. And that's where we have everything from the schedule to bios to whatever is going on across the country as far as training goes. And then, uh, rogue at rogue dot methods is the instagram page you'll see a bunch of highlight videos they're not educational videos by any means they're just supposed to elicit emotion you look at these videos like holy crap these dudes are fighting over this gun and this dude's getting punched in the face and (laughs) it really is just it's it's a highlight reel of what you should expect if you want to take it there right right a lot of these guys will agree like hey we're gonna go all out and i'm like all out 80% guys (laughs) and i'm still right there watching these drills right to make sure that it doesn't escalate beyond and that's our job, right? When you guys are managing recruits and, and people in training, you're like, okay, I probably shouldn't put those two together because they're going to fucking go crazy. Um, but, yeah, on the, on that page, you're going to just see photos of people doing cool stuff, fighting over guns, training, shooting, uh, medical, all the things that, that I think are important if you're going to carry guns. So they're both life-saving tools, and they're both potentially hazardous tools, right? And you have a personal uh, I do my, Instagram on there. I do. So. My personal page is at Raul.Martinez Jr., and that's just – day-to-day stuff like i wake up and do yoga and i post a video of my yeah. feet doing yoga i don't know weird stuff right. <laughs> uh, but i try to be personable there i try to be me so that people get to know me a little bit uh and then what to expect from me as a person and then the company page is just all the cool fun highlight stuff that we do and when you leave here tell the listener what you're where you're gonna go when you leave us and what you're doing tonight so after this we're going down to mansfield to stoic bjj We'll be doing a free law enforcement seminar. So I try to go down there and just give them two or three drills that I think are super important for law enforcement, a lot of hand fighting. And then I'll throw a gun out there and just see how they act with it. Uh, two people trying to fight over a gun and they'll get some cool exposure. The idea behind that that seminar, and I'm trying to do it everywhere that I go, is uh, a little bit of exposure to not only the businesses that provide good training for officers, but also the things that may be missing from an officer's training um, uh, regiment, right? So if they're not training hand-to-hand skills, well, at least they get to show up to this gym, get a free class, and then they're like, oh, maybe I like this gym. Maybe I'll come back. So I've been pretty lucky in the sense that uh, because that is one of my secret missions, like get people into training uh, mm-hmm. of the thousands of people we've trained. Uh, I get at least one or two phone calls or emails or DMs of people who've joined new gyms. They've joined their local boxing club. They've joined their local jujitsu school. And that's like, that's a big deal for me. I'm like, hell yeah. We got them in there, right? right? I gain nothing from it other than knowing that that person is going to be better for themselves and their family. So it's pretty rad. What would you tell a young officer starting off today? What to most prepare for? So get physically prepared so that your body doesn't break down before your mind does. I think when dudes and gals physically exert themselves, they go into this panic mode, right? And this goes back to that redlining idea. Physically prepare so that nothing can damage you physically. Mentally is all going to change. Like, yeah, it might be the same domestic. Like a domestic is a domestic. The difference is the people. So those are always going to be different. So just approach it as it's, it's a unique event. Everything should be a unique event and then learn from it. Otherwise, you're just repeating yourself. And somewhere in there, somebody's going to catch your loop 
and they're going to catch you off guard. So everything needs to be its own individual um, call, let's just say, and then train physically to be ready uh, so that nothing catches you and puts you on your haunches. You have a lot of people that are overwhelmed or intimidated by when you say physically. So pretend you're talking to somebody who knows nothing about exercise. What piece of equipment, what one piece of equipment can I go out and buy that and I can study that would help me prepare physically? So if we're talking about machines, and I own one, so I'll talk about it from experience. I bought the um, Rogue Fitness Echo Bike. It's the assault bike. Sure. That thing is phenomenal. You will never beat it. You will never win against it. So it's a forever nemesis, right? (laughs) And I go to the garage, and and the the family comes out. They look at me weird because I'm in there like fighting this machine, and it works your upper body, your lower body. You can work them simultaneously, or you can take a break off your legs and just use your arms, and it simulates running really fast. It's low impact on your knees. I think they're like six or 800 bucks. They're not not terribly expensive, but it builds your cardio in a nasty way. Like... (laughs) I'm coughing out random stuff from like 1984. Yeah. You're like, oh, God, this is rough. Uh, but that one single piece of equipment, if you have access to an assault bike, use it. Like, it will build you to be better. Well, and you don't even have to spend the 800 bucks. You can get on and find one of those old Aerodyne. Yes. If I can find one thing. of those old school ones, I, have one I, in would, my garage. I would get one just, <laughs> just as a moment. It's loud. <laughs> But it's, it, it creates the same misery. For sure. So, you know, and, and that's one of those things where it's like the things that are the most uncomfortable are technically some of the best things for you, right? Um, and it's just a good piece of equipment. It works everything. Uh, once I got turned on to that, I was like, okay, this is going to be good. It changed all my other stuff. It helps with running. It helps with everything. And it's just, it's an easy piece to have. Uh, other than that, free stuff, push-ups, squats, pull-ups, and running. I mean, you're going to do that in the academies anyway. Right. You might as well get good at them. So just max out every day on everything, two, three times, full max. That's an easy way to start preparing your body. I think it's a perfect way to wrap it up. I want to thank you for coming out here and taking time out of your super busy schedule. And uh, it's an honor to meet you. And um, Chris talks talks about you all the time. Chris is is amazing. Um, Anytime you're in Dallas, stop in. And maybe we can get you on as a guest co-host. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, be yeah. great. Yeah, thank you for your love of our country. Oh. And thank you for your inspiration. Thanks. You are inspiring. Awesome. Thank you. I, I hope to uh, pass it on to somebody else, right? So Please do. It's that trickle effect, right? Yeah. Thank you for making people harder to kill. Yeah, <laughs> we need That's it. The mission, That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Raul. Thank you, guys. Sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. you heavy when the going gets tough I'll be your shoulder together we'll run up from the bottom yeah we'll rise above hey brother hey sister I'll never give
I'll never give up on you. 